Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank for each person that's here. We ask that you guide and lead us as we look at this section of the scriptures and that you will show us how it is to apply to our lives and be useful. And we just thank you in your son's precious name. Amen. Matthew chapter 5. We ended at verse 45 last week, so we're going to start at 46. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be you therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when you do your alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have the glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when you do alms, let not your left hand know what your right hand does, that your alms may be in secret, and your Father, which sees in secret himself, shall reward you openly. So we're going to look at these ones. Uh, He starts out with, uh, he's continuing on, uh, If you love them that love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the publicans do so. Uh, And this is coming out of this section where we talked about... uh, you resist, you know, not to resist evil, we're to, to uh, have co- a good communication. And so he's drawing the difference between Christians and the world. And his first one was, you know, that if you love them that, that love you, you're no better than publicans. And publicans in the Jewish day was the worst of the worst. They were tax collectors. And worse yet, they were tax collecting not for Israel, but for Rome. So the publicans were about as low as you could possibly get. Tax collectors, even in our day, are not a very popular popular uh, profession to say, yes, I'm a tax collector. And it definitely wasn't in this day. And the tax collectors in that day also usually cheated people. They needed to get 10%, so they'd take 20%. And if they collected more than they needed, they got to keep whatever extra they collected. And so they were notorious for cheating people because that was part of the way they made their money. And so Jesus is saying, if you love them, you're no better off than you know, the lowest of the low. <laughs> and we think about this. Jesus says, you will, they will know you are my disciples by your love one for another. We are to show love as Christians, not just even to one another, but as it said before, that we're to love our enemies, do good to those who despitefully use us. And that's really against human nature, to love others. You know, to, love, to love people that are nice to you isn't really easy sometimes. And Jesus said, I want you to love your enemies. And this is something that is something we choose to do. And he says, if you salute, you greet them, you welcome them, only your brethren, what do you more than the publicans? And again, he's talking, he's lifting the standard up. You're not just to be nice to those who are nice to you. You're not to love those who love you. You're not to be greeting and welcoming those that are uh, just your brethren because that's what everybody does. Uh, how many times do people invite people to a party because they know that they've either been invited or those people can invite them later on? And we see that often. That's the way the world does it. You invite somebody that you know can invite you in return, and yet God is saying, reach out. Many times that 
as I've grown up, and my family used to do this all the time. After church, everybody in our, the church, we'd end up with 30 or 40 people at our house after church because my dad would invite anybody and everybody to come for lunch. It was, it was a wonderful time. And most of the time, none of them were ever going to invite us over because most of in, in many places, they were single, didn't have any place else to go, and, got, and he would just make sure they had a place to be able to hang out that day. And uh, so Jesus is saying, your standard is not to be just like everybody else. Many Christians you know, will look at themselves and say, well, I'm better than a lot of people, or I'm better than, but God is saying, I want you to be, as he says at the very end here, perfect, complete, as the Father is perfect. And that means that we invest into people. We, we give them kindness. We invite them to have dinner with us. We, we help meet needs. And this is something that as Christians we are called to do. And Christians over the years and, and centuries and millennia have done just that. Christians have started orphanages and hospitals and they were the prime mover in the Roman days of starting all of those things. It was not a normal thing in Rome to have an orphanage. If you were, if you were a, a uh, parentless child, you just, if you could survive on the street, you were able to live. If you couldn't survive on the street, you deserved to die. And that was their attitude toward it. And this, is, this was the way they operated, and it's the way the world operates in general. Samaritans were the ones that were left after the Babylonian exile, and they were the poorest of the poor, and they inter, intermarried with the uh, people that King Nebuchadnezzar sent to the land. And so when the Jews came back, they considered them half-breeds or worse. But prejudice has always been there and always probably always will be out there. And for us as Christians, we need to have a worldview that goes against prejudice in the first place. Because all of us come from the original parents of Adam and Eve. The next set of parents that we know everybody has is Noah and his wife. But all families come through those two sets of parents. So therefore, we know that everybody who's human has the same blood, the same, you know, the same basic DNA. We need to be able to stop having this prejudice and the churches need to stop you know, be the ones to stop it and the churches have been bad at it in the past as well paul said we're all of one blood in in, in his messaging we are we are all of one blood because we are all human if we if there was not if we weren't human there wouldn't be one blood and science has shown that there's one set of parents you know through through research and and checking things out it always gets me is how it changed so much well, what color were Adam and Eve? Due to genetic facts, they either had to be one very white, one very black, or that middle color that has the, uh, the DNA for all colors. Either way, and because the melanoma in the skin is not a big deal. I mean, the pigmentation of our skin is not a huge deal. That's the only difference in each, in each race. Now, other, other things happen. You know, it's amazing if you go to Europe. The Europeans all know what country you come from by various uh, features in your in your face or your your ears or you know they, they look at you and say well you're you've got the nose of an Italian or the the ears of this person or the 
that you know they know and they have their prejudices just like everybody else and theirs aren't based on the color they're based on the nationality but all of this comes down to I don't know how we got onto prejudice but that's okay because it is a, it is a key, key place for Christians to be able to stand up and say we're all God's children we all come from the same parents we're all made in the image of God and we need to stop the prejudice. Well, the church has developed. The church has developed that loving care for people. In the Roman days, the people that did not want their children would oftentimes go to the river and throw their children in the rivers. So the Christians would go out and fish these babies out and, and bring them into an orphanage because of the preciousness of life that God ordained. So we see this developing of kindness and care for others being generated by the church. And the sad thing is, as we get further and further away from God, we're seeing more and more of this culture of death and destruction coming back in. But it is part of what's always been in the rest of the world. But anyway, we're to be able to reach out and touch others, to love people, to bring out. God loved us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he asked us as Christians to reach out and touch the world and bring them love because God's love is what's special if you know anything about various religions very few well I would say no religion that I know of has a God that loves them there's a God that tolerates them if they do enough good there's a God that will bless them if they do more good than bad and this is something that we see everywhere you have to do more good than bad to please your deity unless you're a Christian and then God says you can't do anything you need Jesus Christ and that's what separates Christianity from all the other religions out there. At some level, they have do more good than bad and, and please the deity. If you're a Hindu, you get to just live life over and over and over until you get it right, <laughs> going up and down the scale of, of good and bad. But all of it comes down to do more good than bad, and all of it is that self-reliance. The very thing that people have trouble with when you give them the gospel, when you tell them the gospel, you're a sinner, you, you need Jesus. All you have to do is accept him and he's forgiven you and, and, you're, and you'll be made perfect. And inevitably, people will say, well, that's just too easy. What do, what, what do I have to do? Nothing. Well, really, what do I have to do? Nothing. <laughs> just give up and let God. And this is something that is hard, even for Christians to understand. Just stop striving to do good. Let God work in you because he says that he's going to indwell us he makes us a new creation he crucifies our flesh he changes us into who we are only the works that he does through us will be what we get rewards for because no flesh will stand before him and in, in the bema seat so we look at this and say it's all him he's the one that makes us perfect he's the one that gives us all of our all that we have and that is what separates Christianity from everything else out there. Because it's a relationship with the God of the universe, not works. Now, are works good? Absolutely, works are good. But it's not to please God. It is because there is consequences for good works that are, you know, we, we, we call them blessings, but they're consequences. It's a reward. When we do right things, we reap right uh, good, good results. But our works do not get us closer to God. They don't get us God to be happier with us. And we think about this. So if, you've, if you've had children and your children misbehaved, 
How many good things did they have to do for you to be, before you would love them again? Well, if you're a good parent, it didn't take any good things for you to love them. You may have been disappointed, but you were still in love with them and still going to say, I'm going to you know, accept you. Now, I know there's bad parents out there that that's not true of, but a good parent loves their kid and doesn't demand that they do a bunch of good things to, to win their love back. Uh, I remember my dad, when he would have to discipline us, he would, we'd, get our, we'd get our spanking or our punishment, and then he'd give us a hug you know, and, and, and still love us, you know, and that's the way it should be. And that's the way God is. He does the same thing. Verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 1. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to, to be seen of them. Otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when you do your alms, and do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. So here we are, we're seeing Jesus saying, take heed or be careful, be on guard, be watchful, that you do not your alms before men. Now, I'm going to stop there for a moment because there's an implicit statement here. That you do not your alms is that he is implying that he expects us to, be, to give alms, help the poor. Okay, This is something he doesn't say specifically, but he says, take heed that you do not your alms before men. It's an implicit statement that you're going to help the poor. This is something that is required of righteousness. The Jews had to do this. This was part of their, the law told them that they were to help the poor. And they would exercise this. And he's saying, don't do it in such a way that you draw attention to yourself. Okay, and this is important. It doesn't mean, and I've seen people go way far the other direction on this. They work so hard at not letting people know that they're, they're giving, that they will, you know, sneak it around and put it in people's way, you know, so they, but they don't, they don't want their name attached to it in any way, shape, or form. Jesus is not saying go to that extreme. But he's talking about these people that would make a big deal. They, they, make, they make a big deal out of it. And this is what he says in verse 2. Don't sound the trumpet before you. And there's controversy on what this means because most people, they don't find any historical statement of uh, the scribes and Pharisees and whatever, you know, blowing trumpets and fanfare. But we do know that it has happened in other, other places. So it, it would not be surprising that it happened. And it might have been so normal that nobody wrote it down in a history book. And this is something that, you know, a lot of times when people say, well, it never happened, we have to be careful with that statement that it never happened because if it's very, very common, people don't take notice of it. Think about this. We see cars going by all the time. You know, would you take, would, do you really take notice of the cars that go by or, or write down, well, I saw 15 cars drive by my house today. Well, no, it's so common that you would never write it down. Another person has said that uh, this comes from the practice that they had the, in the front of the temple were the collection boxes and they had these big horn things going in. And there's people who say that the Pharisees got to the way they could put their money in such a way that they made it sound really loud. And they called that, according to the one person I read, he said that it was called sounding the horn. They would come in, instead of bringing a 50 cent piece, they would bring 51 penny 
things and be pouring it down, uh, down in there. Both of those are probably very true, very, very stable. And we can see it in our churches sometimes. If, uh, we don't do an offering plate, but I've seen people make a big deal of putting their money in the offering plate. You know, to, to make a big show of here's here uh, so yeah but you're looking I'm putting it but again it's there's a hypocrisy involved in that as Jesus is saying you know they're they're wanting to be seen for what they're doing and a lot of times those who are wanting to be seen for what they're doing will also not help those who really need help and this is something that we want to understand and God says that they have their reward already they've been seen man recognized their their gift and it's not saying necessarily that it's wrong I've, I've had people go they will not write a check to a church because they don't want anybody to know what they've given and and that's fine I mean that's that's between them and God but that's not really what he's saying here he's just saying don't make a big show don't don't draw attention and say here I've got you know, you know in our church it might be somebody going okay where do I put this offering <laughs> Because we got the box in the back. You know. Now, that could be an honest question. Where do I put my offering? But if you're making, you know, kind of yelling out, where do I put my offering? It's not the right, <laughs> the right attitude being shown. So we just want to say, you know, look at what he's saying here. He says, when you do your alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing in verse 3. And that kind of sounds really strange to us. Uh, my left hand and my right hand, you know, what am I supposed to do? You know, throw it behind my back. <laughs> it's really just an idiom that says, do it in a way that is quiet and, and secret, not trying to draw attention. And, and the idiom basically means I'm doing it so not even my own body knows, knows what's going on. And it's, it's just, but it is an idiom. It doesn't, it's not a literal, literal statement. And, uh, but he's saying, do it quietly. Don't draw attention to yourself when you're, when you're giving. If you're helping the poor, you don't make, you don't make a big deal out of helping the poor for two reasons. You don't, you don't need the honor and they don't need the shame. They've got enough shame on their own without you adding to it to try to honor yourself in your, in your helping of them. So you just you do it quietly. You do it gently. You do it with great humbleness. And this is very important that God wants us to say this is how he does it. Because he does the same thing when he helps us. He doesn't make a big deal out of helping us. He just does it very gently, very quietly. And the only time ever, anybody ever knows that you've been helped is usually the one who helped you. And if you share it with anybody that, that you were helped. And God is saying, I just want you to do this quietly. And in verse 4 says that your alms may be in secret and your father which sees in secret himself shall reward you openly. This is something that I have seen over the lifetime that God went rewards and he gives it back abundantly. Pressed down, <laughs> shaken together, he, he rewards us when we are serving him and giving to help, you know, whether it's our ties in the church or helping the poor or whatever it might be, or even helping somebody who's in a bad place. It doesn't even need to be somebody who's poor, just somebody who's had hard times for a moment or or got hit with some bills that they weren't expecting. And you help them out, and God says, I'm going to reward openly. I'm going to be very, very uh, generous with my help. And this is something that has helped and happened. 
And one of the things that I have shared with people is if somebody wants to give you something, whether you think you need it or not, if God has put it on their heart to give you, at least accept it, then don't take away their blessing of giving. And if you really don't think you need it, and I did this with my wife one time, she really didn't want to take a gift from somebody. I'm going, we're not stealing their blessing, but if you don't want the money, we'll give it to somebody, somebody else. And we turned around and gave it to somebody who needed to pay their utility bills. And maybe it was just for the, for the money to go to the right person that it was given to us. I don't know why or how, but it went to somebody who needed it, definitely needed it. But one thing you want to understand is it's much, most people will find it much easier to give than to receive the gift. I just bring this up for people. If somebody's wanting to give you something, if you don't think you need it, at least accept it and don't take their, don't take their blessing away. Do whatever you want with it. Give, it. give it to the next poor box or the next offering in the church or, the, or somebody else that you know that needs it. But you know, if you don't think you need it, give it, you know, give it away. But don't take the blessing away from somebody who's trying to give. Because there's the idea that you, if somebody wants to be generous, it's expected that it gets received. But I do believe it's a blessing because we get blessed when we give. So we need, you know, we want our blessing to be received by whoever we're giving it to. So we need to learn to be able to do the same thing. And God had to do that with me when I was going through, you know, losing my job and having just this income and my wife's income. Sometimes it was very hard to say, yes, thank you, I need, I need it. But God taught it, and, and then I've been blessed now with a good job at the, at the prison. But sometimes the hardest thing to do is say, thank you. Thank you for the gift. And like I say, if you don't need it, give it away. <laughs> Find somebody else to give it to. But be able to accept and give. And that accepting is hard. I know that it's hard because it, I had to learn it myself, and others have had to learn it. And because your first instinct is, especially if you're not really, 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 really poor, it's like, well, you really think I need this? <laughs> it's almost an insult to your pride. And yet we need to learn to be humble toward one another as well. Verse 5, when you pray, you shall not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, enter into your closet, and when you have shut your door, pray unto your Father which is in heaven, which is in secret, and your Father which sees in secret shall reward you openly. But when you pray, use not vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard by, for their much speaking. Be ye not therefore like unto them, for your Father knows what things you have need of before you ask. So he starts now talking about prayer. Lots of people have problems with prayer because it's not something that's easy to do. Talking to somebody who's invisible and you can't see is something that's really difficult for most people, myself included. But he says, when you pray, you shall not be as the hypocrites. And this is a term that he's used several times here, the hypocrites. It uh, literally in Greek means play actors. It was the idea of holding a mask in front of you and, and pretending to be something and then they would end up flipping the mask and being somebody else at the next next moment but this idea of being two-faced is literally what it means and he's saying there are those who pray out in the open they, they draw attention to themselves but they're not being honest with God they're not really meaning what it is all they want to do is be seen be seen being spiritual Sometimes we even see it in churches where somebody will pray and all of a sudden they start speaking in Old English. 
Have you ever heard these people in some of the in some of these churches? They start speaking, "Oh, thou mighty Father," you know, <laughs> yeah, and they get all this flowery, verbose language, and it's like, okay, I haven't never heard you talk that way to anybody around you. But when they're talking to God, they're putting on a very big, pretentious show. Yeah, well, whatever it is, I've seen it in many churches where, you know, there's really flowery, you know, almost Old English, and it's not really Old English because they don't know how to speak Old English, but they just, you know, throw in all the words that they've been reading in the Bible. And, but what are they doing? Are they really praying to God or are they putting on a show? And I'm not going to sit there and judge them because that may be the only way they know how to pray. But it, you kind of think, you know, they're being pretentious oftentimes. And they're wanting to be seen. They're standing, and in Jesus' day, they, the rabbis would stand on the corners and, and make a big deal out of their prayers. <laughs> As they would, you know, say their prayers and be known, and it would be like, look at me, I'm, I'm saying my prayers. And he says, don't be like that. He says, enter into your closet and shut the door. Now this has a double meaning in here because if, if you know anything about the Jews, when they pray, they have a prayer shawl that they use. And then they grab hold of the corners of their prayer shawl and then they wrap them around to them. And that for a Jew is called entering in your, into your closet and closing the door. So basically he's saying, this is what he's, they're referring, what he's referring to. They enter in and shut the door, and they're very quiet in their prayers. They're not yelling and drawing attention to themselves. And it could literally be going to the storeroom of, of your house, but he's saying you're doing something that people are not being drawn to notice. And this is how our prayers are supposed to be. Uh, I've seen people when they go to the restaurants, you know, and they and they say their grace on their prayer, and they they say it loud enough so that everybody in the whole restaurant <laughs> hears them saying their prayers. It doesn't need to be that big a deal. If it's quiet, it draws attention anyway. When I worked in restaurants, I used to watch for people who would say prayers before their before their meal and just say, you know, I'm glad, you know, and walk by and just say, I'm, I'm really appreciative of the way that you stand up for God, even even out in the, in the world. If I, when I worked at uh, the, the Popeyes, I'd see a trucker bowing his head and pray. If I had a chance to get out there, I'd talk to him because they were very lonely anyway, and it was an opportunity to, to just break the ice and talk with them for just a few minutes and really encourage them in their, in their walk with God. So the, even the quiet will draw attention to you, but it's not, that purpose is not to be drawn attention, it's just to be honoring God. So he says, you know, be very subtle. Don't be pushing it into, into people's face and everything. And then it says, when you pray, do in verse 7, use not vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Vain repetition, that's kind of an interesting word. It means to repeat something, babble, idle, prattle, <laughs> and huh? chant. You know, chant, that's what happens in a lot of these different religions. If you're, and the whole purpose of this is, as he says, that they think they will be heard by their much speaking. There's this idea of, if I speak enough and loud enough, I'll get the attention of my God and maybe they'll pay attention to me. Which is the whole purpose of all this repetition over and over and over and over again. It also brings you into a 
trance-like state that was empties your mind so that you can be entered into by, they would think God, but I would say devils. <laughs> Anything that can be done to serve God can be taken to the wrong extreme and used to try to show off. And this is why I say, when I mention people saying these flowery praise, that may be the only way they know to pray and that they're not showing off. Other people are showing off and saying, you know, hey, look at me, I, I am really... I am really spiritual. Listen to the words that you know. Listen to the words that I'm using. Fasting can be the same thing, and we're going to talk about that, you know, later on in this chapter. But fasting can be the same thing. You know, look at me. I'm really spiritual. I I've, I've been fasting for a week, and God's again going to say, "Don't do it out in the open. Make you know, it's something that people are to be you do between him yourself and God." It could be for people reading the Word of God. It's very important to read God's Word and to study God's Word. But some people will use it, you know, I've, I've read my Bible today. You know, have you read your Bible today? And it's not an encouragement. It's like, how many, how many chapters did you read? I, I, I read five chapters today. How many did you read? You know, it's, uh, it becomes a contest. It becomes, you look how spiritual I am because I'm doing these things. And this is what ends up happening. Satan will work very hard at taking whatever is a good thing and twisting it into a look at me and how prideful and, and religious I am. The, the alms, you, you were supposed to give money to the poor, and yet it was being twisted into, I give more than you. See how much I gave? I gave, I gave 20% of my income this, the, you know, to this, this poor person, or I gave him $200. How, how much did you help him with? Whether it was that very strongly open, it was still, you, know, you watched me, you heard me, you heard what I did. And we want to be very careful because Satan will take and use everything that God wants us to do and push it into, look how special I am because I'm serving God more, more than most people because I'm doing whatever it might be. In the, in the Bible, it talks about praying inside inwardly and outwardly because the Satan, if you pray outwardly, Satan has a understands it, but if you're praying inwardly, he doesn't know what you're thinking. I know no verse for that, but I know that that's taught. It. I know that that's been taught, that that gets taught in... Uh, it gets taught in like uh, the name and claim. Yes, the name and claim are all into that. Don't don't tell Satan what you're asking God because he does, he'll block it. I have not come across any verse that backs that up. Pentecostals teach it all the time. I've heard it, I heard it a lot in the Pentecostal churches. The name and claim it's, uh, teach it. Uh, that you don't speak things out loud because if you speak it out loud, Satan understands it and can try to block God from answering it. The problem with that whole mentality that I, that I really have with that whole mentality is that it really strengthens Satan and gives him more power than God. And I have problems with that. God, if I pray out loud and God wants me to have it, it doesn't matter whether Satan knows it or, or doesn't know it. He's not going to stop it if God wants me to have it. They would take verses like Daniel, where when Daniel started praying, it took Gabriel 30 days to get there and be, and say, well, see, that's that's your proof, you know, your proof verses. They'll take things like that. Yeah, it, it, it's been. T I've, believe me, I've heard it. I've heard it myself over those years. So it's. I've never said that, but I mean, it's. God does not need us to say a word for Him to understand us, and that's true. We can think it, and He's going to know what we think. There is power in speaking forth your prayers though because it puts it out in a in an audible format and it I have no problem with praying out loud it's most a lot of prayer when you look in the Bible seems to be out loud 
There's just a power, there's a power in actually speaking for us as humans. But he says, don't use vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard by their much speaking. Our God does not need to be awoken <laughs> to pay attention to us. If you think back in, in, a, in a Elijah when he's with the prophets of Baal, I love that story. You know, they're, you, got, you got these 400 guys out there, you know, and he's going to go... You know, you guys go first. You, you, you pray for the fire to fall, and, and they're cutting themselves, and they're yelling, and, you know, and all this. And he goes, he's taunting them. He goes, you need to yell a little louder. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he went to the bathroom. Maybe he went on vacation. You're, you know, <laughs> he was taunting them. And it, you know, it really is kind of funny as we listen, you know, listen to them, because he's sitting there you know, just like, what kind of God do you have that doesn't hear you, and you have to do all this thing? And then he just comes, and he just very quietly says, Father, reveal to them who the real God is and rain fire down. And all of a sudden, the fire comes down. And it, there's, the, the indication when you read the story is that he just he's just barely speaking loud enough for the people to hear that he's praying to God and what he's asking. As a, and he's just been all the yelling and taunting. Our God doesn't need to be awoken. He doesn't, he's always paying attention to us. Always. Verse 8. Be ye not therefore like unto them, for your Father knows what things you have need of before you ask him. Our God knows what we need before we ask. But for some reason, he asks us to ask him. And I think I understand a little bit about that from being a parent. There were many times when I knew my children wanted something, even before they asked, or that they needed something. But do you, do you remember the times when your kids would ask and you would just feel, feel that privilege that they were wanting something and they felt the desire to come to you? I believe God wants that. He wants us to acknowledge that we need something. Because if he always gave us what we needed before we knew that we needed it, we would not be thankful in, a, in, in any way. Because we hadn't even got to the point where we knew we needed it. This is something that I believe God does on purpose. He allows us to get to the place where we know we need something so that we'll ask, so that we know that we've received a gift. And I've said this in, on other occasions is, one of the things we need to be very careful of as Christians is we don't get so familiar with the blessings of God that we forget that they're blessings. And when I'm, the way I explain that is we, especially in America, have plenty of food on most of our tables and, and roof over our heads and all these different things. We, get, we can get familiar with it. We can just say, you know, we get so used to it that it's just the way it always is. And we do this oftentimes with God's blessings. And then when we get that way, we forget that they are blessings. And sometimes God will pull his blessings away from us to remind us that they are blessings. And we need to be very careful that we are looking to God and asking him and giving him thanks. Being thankful. In Thessalonians, it tells us, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of Christ Jesus in, concerning you, in, in you. He wants us to be thankful. He wants us to recognize that he is blessing us. And we as Christians can sometimes get a little jaded because we're getting blessed so often that we kind of forget that they are blessings. And I've heard lots of people, when, when they're praying, they go and they ask, they ask for something, and they go, and we will be careful to thank you. Well, I always, when I hear somebody say that, I really wonder, are they really thanking God when their prayers get answered? 
We're getting ready to go into what's called the Lord's Prayer, which I don't like to call it the Lord's Prayer because I think the Lord's Prayer is John 17 where Jesus is actually praying. But this is where Jesus teaches us how to pray. Verse 9. After this manner, therefore, pray you, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now this verse, these verses people know. <laughs> uh, I, I know a, a pastor from another denomination. Every time we get together, he wants to say the Lord's Prayer. I understand it and I, and I appreciate it. But I have a problem with the Lord's Prayer in one, one case is that it gets to be familiar. Gary, you were mentioning how it was said in, you know, in, in the Catholic Church a lot. But I've heard people, it's kind of like when you ask somebody to quote John 3.16. They don't even think about it as, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Okay, great. What did you just say? And they could repeat it back to you a hundred times, but you know, when you say, what does it mean? They hardly think about it. And I think about this when we sing our songs and our hymns and our choruses. A lot of times I'll bring something out and I'm going, were you thinking about this song when you sang this song or were you just mouthing words? The Lord's Prayer can be vain repetitious repetition for a lot of people because they just rattle it off without thinking about any of its, any of its points. And it is very powerful. I do not believe that Jesus was saying, say this prayer over and over again, because he says, in this manner, therefore, pray. He was given the points that we're to pray for. Not the, not the specific prayer, but how to pray as he looked at it. And here, this needs more than 10 minutes to, to deal with. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. <laughs> right, let's go ahead and close in prayer here, and then we can talk or whatever. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you. Lord, we ask you to help us to learn how to be more like you in our relationships with others and that we will love others, we will give, we will bless, and that we will serve others without trying to get it for recognition. And we just thank you in your son's name. Amen.